Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Good morning. If I haven't met you, just like Lindsay, my name is Ray, one of the pastors here at Calvary. Thank you for being with us here and watching online. Uh, in case you didn't know it, that young lady that just stood up here is my youngest daughter, uh, Lindsay. And I'm proud of all my daughters and uh, proud of Lindsay and the job, the pastoring she's doing with the uh, children. And uh, I'm just really excited about what God's going to do through her and through the ministry and through all of you who serve uh, our kids. (sighs) I know you're you're, you're comfortable, I get it. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we respect the word. It's a thing we do here. If you were to ask me why I chose this passage, I'm not really sure, other than the heart posture of John the Baptist toward Jesus. His followers have come to him and said, listen, they're not coming to you, they're going to him. And the response of John is just so beautiful, at least to me. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John 3, verse 27. All are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And here it is. He must increase, but I must decrease. Father, take your word today as we look at your scripture, as we look at just who you are. Let our hearts be filled with joy, with adoration, with praise. Lord, I love what was said. There's a cultural way to see the world and there's a kingdom way. May we walk in kingdom ways today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, uh, As we jump into this today, uh, I want to tell you where we're going right up front, if that's okay. A a couple of weeks ago, I shared out of a story from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life in John Tyson's book, The uh, uh, Beautiful Resistance. And uh, he said that the pull of Christ, Bonhoeffer said the pull of Christ must be stronger Then the pull of the terrorist things around, the Nazis, the Germans, everything. The pull of Christ must be stronger. And Tyson took that and said these words. He he brought it all down to this must be stronger than that. That if we're going to follow Jesus, our love for Christ must be stronger than anything. And what what my thesis, my premise is today is this. That uh, in, in this life I'm looking for, my worship of God must be stronger than my worship of anything else. How many know we're all worshipers at heart? We are, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. But uh, in the, in two weeks ago, I, I made a reference. Uh, in this service especially, we, we had a good laugh about it, at least 50% of us, where uh, I mentioned an episode from Seinfeld. No soup for you. No soup for you. And I was referring to the different isms. There's soup, and there's no soup for us. We have a birthright in Christ, and we need to know the difference and not accept soup. Don't sell your birthright cheaply. Well, two young women came up to me after the service and they said, 
We had no idea what you were talking about. No idea. It was painful on so many levels. And she said, we, didn't, we don't know who Seinfeld is. I mean, I thought, wow. And we had never seen that. And so they said, you know, we, uh, I, by the way, I tested it out. I spoke at student leadership the next Wednesday. And I asked that, those 15 young people, had they ever heard of No Soup for You, Seinfeld? And not one of them raised their hand. Only guy who knew was Jack Lintelman, but he's my age. So uh, anyway, in the same weekend, I referenced, I referenced uh, oh, by the way, they did know about a soup commercial by a guy named Adam Driver. Adam Driver's done a commercial, and all he said in this video was, oh, good soup. Well, that wasn't a fit for my message, and I, I don't know who Adam Driver is. I now understand he's the son of Princess Leia and Han Solo. So... Uh, in the same weekend, I referenced Madonna, and again, half the congregation had no idea who Madonna was. Anyone under, under, I don't know. It'll depress me if I say 40, so. so and someone said, well, Pastor Ray, you should have gone with Taylor Swift because she's everything right now. I mean, she's it. She's the bee's knees. She's the cat's meow. Yeah, we'll talk after service. And, uh, and so here, here's my point in all of what I just said. Uh, culture changes, right? What's in today will be out tomorrow. What's popular today may or may not be popular tomorrow. Over time, ideas and tastes, they change. Everything about this world changes, but I got to tell you, in a world of change, be it culturally with fashion or style or music or whatever, it makes my heart feel especially joyful and filled with gratitude today to know that there is one who never changes. There's one who never changes. And most of you know I'm, I'm speaking about our God. The Bible says our God is immutable. That means unchanging. Today we're here and we're worshiping God, not because he's the flavor of the month, not because he's in and someone else is out, but we're worshiping God because of who God is. He is the one who is unchanging. The Bible tells us in Malachi his nature is unchanging. Psalms, his character is unchanging. God's promises are unchanging. God's strength is unchanging. God's love is unchanging. God's invitation to you and me is unchanging. And in a world of change, God remains the same. And I don't know about you, but that makes me happy today. That in this sea, this island of, of a constantly changing ideas and philosophies and isms and all that stuff, you and I get to come together and worship a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think that that's a big deal. Consequently, because he does not change, God alone is worthy of our worship. No matter who might be at the top of your list on who you decide to worship, I'm going to tell you, there's no one like our God. There's no one who loves you like God. There's no one who has sacrificed for you like our God. There's no one like Jehovah God. There's a lot of small G gods around, but there's no capital G God like Jehovah Jireh, our God who provides. And so we take joy and we take comfort and we find joy and we find gratitude in those things. You know, there's another characteristic. You know, while people change their ideas, they change their styles, they change their hair and all that stuff, there are certain parts of who you are and who I am that never changes. It's part of a inside. One of those things that never changes is our propensity to worship something or someone. That from the earliest times uh, back in history, people worshiped the elements, wind, fire, earth, water, and all that, or they worshiped animals or they worshiped ancestors. Then we moved into a time of what's called polytheism, where uh, the worship of many gods and goddesses in Greece and in Rome, and especially in, in Egypt. 
uh, pantheism where we, we, or we felt that back then, they felt that everything, there was a, 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 a unifying spirit within pantheism. And then we turned to monotheism. That's where we get Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. We serve one God. And then, you know, all through that time, there's been idolatry and symbolism and, uh, and created idols and icons and symbols to represent this deity or that deity or, or just something. And then we, we have the secular and the non-religious where we begin to worship scientific knowledge or nature or human potential or morals or something like that, kind of the outcropping of humanism. And so there is within you and I a, 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 a something that cries out to worship something. And I'm, I'm here today to tell you it's okay because you are created with the DNA to worship. You just need to know that. You and I are made in the image of God and God created us. What? So that we might participate in worshiping him. So that he could love us and we could love him and we could lift up our arms and our voices and worship the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We were made for worship. We were made to walk in fellowship from the Garden of Eden through all of the scriptures to today. God has created us to worship, to give us a desire for transcendence, to give us a desire for meaning and for purpose today. We were created to worship God, created to walk in fellowship, but in our fallenness. That Genesis 3 thing, remember? When sin entered the world and everything kind of went sideways, in our broken humanity, we became, to, we became, how can I say this? We became willing to worship stuff that didn't deserve it. We were willing to worship people, places, and things that were unworthy. That what I would call less than. And we chose to worship, the Bible talks about, we chose to worship the created rather than the creator. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought of that quote I've used before by C.S. Lewis, and it applied even to worship. He said, C.S. Lewis, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drinks and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like the ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in in, in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea we are far too easily pleased we are far too easily in awe of things that don't deserve to be awed that don't deserve our adoration that don't deserve for us to build an altar at their feet but that's our tendency when our desire should be for worshiping god alone we're far too easily pleased with less than That's why God hit it so hard in Exodus chapter 20. Hit it hard when he said these words very boldly. In fact, he said it two or three different ways, but it all kind of coalesced together when he said these words, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, God knew that our our propensity, our desire would be to worship less than things that would be unworthy to worship idols of our own making. To worship idols that in our mind were worthy of worship. You know, my sons watch YouTube. And uh, I just heard, yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't watch it. But for whatever reason, they left the house and it was still on. And there was a George Carlin. Now, I'm going to embarrass myself again because I actually know who George Carlin is. How many of you know who George Carlin is? All right, then. Half. Dang. 
Well, he was a comedian, much in the same genre as Seinfeld, a stand-up comedian. And he talked about ordinary things or things that he saw in the world, and he, he talked about them. He was a precursor to, to people like Jerry Seinfeld. And back in the 60s and 70s, he, he has since passed away. I'm not recommending George Carlin to you. He was obscene, he was vulgar, and he was certainly not a Christ follower. Don't watch him. But I'm telling you, I ended up watching this thing. And it sounds like hypocrisy, but I think it's going to fit in the message, so it's, it's okay, I get a pass. And so he's watching, I'm watching this guy, and he starts talking about Exodus chapter Chapter 20, the you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not create any graven images, idols, and stuff like that. And he, 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 he started making his jokes about all that God did then was just to try and keep you in control. He was trying to manipulate and control you by telling you not to have any of the gods but him. And as he said it, I, uh, honestly, my spirit goes, whoa, 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 whoa. George, you got that all wrong. It wasn't because he wanted to... to to control us. It wasn't because he wanted to keep us in line. God put those in place because he knew we would worship things that were unworthy and we would jam ourselves up. He knew that there was a joy. He wasn't offering to control us. He was offering us a way to find joy and peace that could only come from that dynamic created image bearer of God relationship with him. He was stopping us from hurting ourselves because honestly, I don't know about you, but a lot of things I involve myself in don't glorify God, don't glorify me, but messes up my life pretty well. How about you? He wasn't trying to, to, to keep us in line. He was, he was trying to save us from ourselves because we have this tendency to worship foolish. We have a tendency to worship less than. We put people, places, and things, and ideas, and isms on pedestals, and we bow, and we build altars to them when they're unworthy. And it messes us up when we worship the temporary instead of the eternal, the lie instead of the truth. And God knew this. Exodus 30, everything God said about not having any other gods is about to be tested. Exodus 30 it doesn't take too long for God's commandment to be tested. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come and make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Then it gets bad. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings. Now we're, we're thinking four or five, six million people here, so a lot of earrings. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Go figure. Fashioning it with the tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Man, where, where do we start here? I mean, there's just so much wrong with that paragraph. First thing is, they said, make us gods. Boy, I'm glad we don't do that. I'm glad we're not like them, that we don't create gods of our own. Aren't you? I know I'm being facetious. We do exact same thing. The Bible says, everyone gave up their earring, something to create the idol. Everyone gave up their earring. By the way, some, a, a young man came up to me after. He said, Pastor Ray, what I got out of that is when they left Egypt, they went and they took those things, that jewelry and stuff from the Egyptians that actually was given to them by God and now they're offering it to something else. Another message, but I thought that was a pretty insightful thought there. 
And so they give all their earrings to make this. And as I read that in the text, I thought, you know, uh, there's always a cost to following an idol. Everyone with me? There's always a cost to following an idol. Then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They were there. They were there when God split the Red Sea. They were there and they saw the, the pillar of fire by night. They saw the cloud by day. They, they ate the manna. They knew who had delivered them. But that's what happens. That's what happens. Though it wasn't true, they didn't care. Though it wasn't true. See, that's what an idol does. It replaces the truth of God with a lie. And people buy it. Everyone still awake? Truth that God gives and it's twisted and it's perverted and it's replaced with a lie. It replaces the genuine, the false, the eternal with the temporary. And just because we believe it, listen, my friend, it doesn't make it any less a lie. It doesn't make a, a, a lie any more truthful just simply because we believe it. And then Aaron said this. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Wow. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar. I mean, again, where do I start? He built an altar before the idol because that's what you do with an idol. You build an altar before it and you bow down and you worship. Wherever there's an idol, there'll be an altar. Wherever there's an altar, there'll be someone worshiping at it. Whatever you worship, it becomes your God. And I asked the question, kind of a halftime in this message, what are the idols that you have built an altar to sit and stand before? The next statement is amazing. Aaron announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Well, how's that going to work? Tomorrow, because now we have the golden calf, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. Well, I'm not sure how that works. Because... God didn't say, love the Lord your God and the golden calf with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God didn't say, you shall have no other gods before me except me and the golden calf. That's not how it works. And yet, what he just tried to do is maybe what we try to do. We try to take our idolatry and we try to line it up with our walk with Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, friend, from past experience, it doesn't work. That's, I love that song they sang, and I, I love what, what Joshua said back in his, the writings. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because we've tried to worship other things and add other things, and it doesn't work. As for me and this house, we will serve one God, the Lord God, the Lord God Jehovah. Scripture says time and again, and this is why what Aaron did was so abhorrent to God, and there was a price to pay for it, but we won't read that today. Scripture says time and again, and, and, and you know, we, we talk about the love of God, we talk about the grace of God, we talk about the forgiveness of God, and man, we're all about grace, love, and forgiveness here. I wouldn't have it any other way, but friends, the only reason those words have any depth, any gravitas, any meaning is because it's based upon one thing, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. The word forgiveness has, has significant and impact because God is holy and he hates sin. That's why when he says you're forgiven, that's why it matters. When God extends grace to you, God hates these things that we involve ourselves in. He burns with righteous anger, the Bible says. And so when he extends grace, that grace is what it is. It's, it's powerful and significant because of who God is. He is holy and just and righteous. 
right? And these words have their meaning out of, if he were wimpy, if he were a small G God, if he were just, hey, uh, if he was just a go along, get along kind of God, these words wouldn't matter. But because he is holy and righteous, is it possible that a lot of what you and I face in life are direct consequences of building altars before gods that don't deserve them? Is it possible that the consequences, I mean, I'm thinking of that verse in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves like a son or a daughter, he disciplines. There are consequences when we build altars and we'll come back to that. Bruce Benson said these words, again, out of Beautiful Resistance by Tyson, I'd recommend it to you. Not only are we capable of creating idols and worshiping them, we are likewise capable of being almost or completely blind to their existence. Our recognition of idols for what they are is often selective. You know, for me, it's easy to see the mistakes that Israel made. They built a golden calf for crying out loud. How I many of that was probably a real danger signal? You don't build graven images, God just said. It's easy for me to pick out where they went wrong and how they did it and all those mistakes they made. I gotta be honest with you, it's a lot harder for me to see my own. How about you? It's a lot harder for us to see and we become very selective. It's easy for me to see the, the idols you may be making, but it's a lot more difficult for me to see the idol I might have hidden in my soul where it may be even difficult for me to see, but there I have built an altar before that idol of my own making. It's easy Tyson makes the point that there are different kinds of, 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 of gods out there, of idols out there, idolatry. It's when you involve yourself in the worship of idols, idolatry. He said out there, there are, there are plenty of idols out in our culture. Can we just agree? Whether you make an idol as silly as, as worshiping Taylor Swift or someone else, but there, there are deeper, there are deeper isms out there. When you begin to worship, Romans talks about, we began to worship the created rather than the creator. It's a problem. It's idolatry. And there are cultural items all around us. I mean, honestly, what, what idols might be around us today? How about the desire for success? How about the desire to be popular? How about the desire for finance or materialism? How about... Uh, our desire for power, popularity, prestige, status. How about when, and the point is it doesn't have to be even something big like that. It's whatever in our lives begins to consume us and begins to knock Jesus off the throne of our hearts. It's when anything becomes so important and so vital to us that rather than having Jesus sit on the throne of our lives, we, we usurp his position and we move him off the throne that he is so rightfully accustomed to and we put something else there my friend I don't know how else to say it but that's idolatry that's building an altar in a place to a to a person place or thing ideology or ism that does not deserve it and there are consequences for it then he also talks about heart idols you know uh, at my age and and based on who I am and my makeup personality it's easy for me to see foolish out there it's just easy I mean, I can look, I can listen to a guy talk on television. I say, that is, that's just baloney. I mean, for other people, they struggle. They listen to something, they just sit there and go, yeah. You know what the struggle is for me? It's the heart idols in here where no one else sees. That's what Tyson talks about. Those idols that are in here where they're hidden. 
Maybe you're here today and maybe you have some hard idols. Maybe there's an emotion that you're carrying around and, and it, it is consuming you. Maybe there are feelings inside of you that you're just, you're holding on to and you can't let go. Maybe there is a love that you recognize is wrong, that it makes no sense, that it's going to destroy you in some form or fashion or at least defeat what God wants to do in your life and you're holding on to it. My friend, that's an idol. And you built an altar there. And they're all around us. You know, it, it, it hit me on, I think it was yesterday, uh, idols aren't bought, they're built. Does that make sense to y'all? I hope it does. Idols aren't bought. You don't go out, you don't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm gonna go out and buy an idol. What do you do? You begin to build it brick by brick. Day by day. Maybe it starts when, ah, you know what, coming to worship on a Sunday is just not that big a deal. Instead of worshiping with the saints, you're doing something different. But then that neglect of the things that are most important of worshiping and, and fellowshipping and getting deep into the word of God, that begins to lessen your soul. And as this begins to deplete, has, has that, a walk with Jesus begins to decrease, that idol begins to increase inside of you. How many know what I'm talking about? And day by day, little by little, we're no longer hanging with those friends who lift Jesus up. We're starting to hang with people who may tear Jesus down or, 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 at, least, or at the least are ambivalent toward him. They don't care about him. And, and we become ripe. We become fertile ground for idols to be erected. And, and, and it, it's not just having an idol because where you have an idol, then you build an altar. And where you have an altar, you have a worshiper. And before you know it, though you had no idea it would ever turn out this way, you have an, uh, an idol, you have built the altar, and you begin to worship at that place of worship to the idol. How many know what I'm talking about today? It can be so many different things. It happens over time, one action, one word, one thought, one earring at a time. So, so how do we tear down idols? I mean, I, I titled it Developing a Worshipful Life, but how do we tear down idols? That's a better title. How do we knock them down? Because outside the church and inside the church, I think in my opinion, at least I've seen it in my own life in the last 40 years, there has been a tendency to at times erect an idol that did not deserve my worship. How do we knock them down? Well, first, I think we gotta be honest with ourselves. I think we have to have a time of self-examination. I think we gotta be honest. Now, I may not be honest with you, you may not be honest with me, but I think we ought to be honest with ourselves and begin to reflect on what is it in my life that captures my attention? What is it that drives me? What is it that, that wants to envelop my life and be the sole purpose? It can be something big, it can be something little, but when it consumes at the expense of knocking Jesus off the throne, we need to acknowledge it, we need to name it. We need to say, this is what it is. And we do that by asking what area are dominating our thoughts and actions, what idols are competing for my worship. And then it goes back to that same old place of asking, that old place of asking the Holy Spirit to, to enlighten and to show us through our thoughts and actions what our, how our thinking is. And then we think about the idols that may be competing. However you do it, just do it. And then secondly, at some point we need to reprioritize our walk with God. You know, I can sum this up pretty quickly. Mary and I, we've been married 43 years. We have three daughters and eight grandchildren, two, two, grands, uh, two son-in-laws. We're blessed, extremely blessed. 
we're at a point after 43 years where I pretty much know what she's thinking and she pretty much knows what I'm thinking. I can finish her sentences and she can finish mine. Don't do it, it's rude. I'm just telling you. We're at that place where we have been together for 43 years, we know each other well. And, and same for you who've been married that long. Let me rephrase. For those of you who haven't lived like strangers in the same house for 43 years. That's a whole nother message. We know each other. It's the same way with our walk with God. You can't worship what you don't know. You can't worship who you don't know. If you don't know he's the creator of the world. If you don't know that that we, we live and we breathe and, and, and we are made in his image, if you don't understand his character, his attributes, who he is, his, his eternalness, if you don't understand, if you don't understand that, you won't understand grace. If you don't understand grace, you won't understand the cross. And all of these things need to work together so that when you come before the altar, you can worship him in spirit and in truth because you know him and he knows you. And there's this dynamic relationship that's going on between you and the Lord. And then finally, and this may be the hardest, I thought number two was, but it could be the third one. I must transform instead of conform. Friends, one of the greatest problems in the church today is this conformity to things that are outside the walls. Now, I'm not saying we hide in here. I'm just saying, I mean, it, it, it's, what I just said is based on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many know that there are patterns out in the world? Everything around us is a pattern. You just got to find them. There are patterns everywhere, patterns in relationships, patterns, patterns in media, patterns on, in, in, on, on your internet, patterns all over the place. And it becomes easier and easier for people who immerse themselves in that to be conformed to the patterns of this world. Everyone's still awake. God says, don't do that. And he's not just doing a beast to keep us in line. He's saying, it's for your own good. I say, don't do that. Be transformed by not conforming. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, to know what the perfect will of God is, is to be transformed and to focus in and say, God, what you want is more important than what I want. What you say is more important than what the, the world has to say. The patterns of my worship and formation in you is more important than the patterns of this world. That's what he's saying to the church today. That's what he's saying to you and I as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I honestly, when you get home, read about the three young men before the furnace. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close with this thought about Hostess cupcakes. <laughs> so I think it was. Did you go on that hike Friday? Friday. Uh, I, I'm, I'm at home, I'm working on the message and stuff and you know, there's a lot going on in my head both spiritual stuff and non-spiritual stuff it's funny how that works and Mary came home and she brought me Hostess cupcakes a, little, a package of Hostess cupcakes does everyone know what those are? <laughs> okay, good, wow In truth, I, I called her and asked her to bring them home. I just want that 
there. There's just something about Hostess cupcakes for me. Now, I don't mean the taste. And I've talked to a lot of people after the services in, in my age group, I guess. You know, I've gone through some changes this year. One, my mom passed away. Uh, a couple of my friends that I grew up with have cancer. Uh, had pretty strong disagreements with a group. And... Uh, so I'm sitting there and I, 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 I took these cupcakes. Normally I'd eat them right out of the package. But I put them on a plate. I built an altar. No. And I just looked at them. And I know it sounds silly to you, but in that moment, those cupcakes, they've, they've not changed in 60 years. They haven't. They're the same. They're the same yesterday, day, and forever. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> a little curly cue on top, the chocolate, the whole thing. And as I looked at those cupcakes, please don't think I'm silly, but I thought, you know, in a sea of change, I remember back in first grade when my mom packed those in my lunch and I pulled them out when I was six years old. There was, I, I, maybe they call it comfort food, not for how it tastes, but it just reminds you of something. But as I thought of that, I thought, you know what? Obviously, for whatever reason, those cupcakes meant something in that moment. But at the end of the day, they were just still cupcakes. But I thought to myself, there are other things in my life that may be just as hidden that I think more highly of. That maybe there are some feelings and emotions inside me that I've made into an idol and built an altar before them. Those, those hidden, hidden idols? Can, can negativity become an idol? Absolutely. Can fear, can fear of relationships, fear of love, fear of anything become an idol? Many people are bowing at that. They built an altar right there. They walk in fear every day. How about resentment? I think resentment can become an idol. People build an altar to it and worship there all the time. Bitterness, anger. What's, what's, the, what's the hidden idol in you inside where no one can see? What consumes your thought life? What consumes your heart? I think we need to be, and I, I think it was Gideon. I think it could have been Joshua, but I think it was Gideon who went in and he, he began to tear down and destroy the idols of that community. Even so, we need to destroy the idols out there, but before we move out there, I think we got to move in here. So, what is it for you? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. And speak to each and every one of us in this room and begin to reveal. Maybe it's a feeling, maybe it's an emotion, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a, a, a pattern. Maybe it's something of this world that has captured us and consumes us. In the name of the one who sits on the throne. The throne. 
begin to destroy the altars that we have built. In the name of Jesus, begin to tear down the idols and restore unto us the joy of worshiping the one true God who loves us and cares deeply about us and longs to walk in fellowship with us. Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.